Today we're going to be reading out of Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod summoned the wise men seek then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more, are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that that was so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. So it's finally Christmas break. Students, congratulations. You're all out now. Private school, like homeschool, you guys are out, right? I don't, I don't always understand how that works. Like it's home and school at the same, so you're kind of out, but you're not. Like I hope you're out. If you're not, tell your teacher I said you should be out. But I don't want you to get too comfortable away from school too fast. It just seems like a bad idea. So I'm here to help you with a little pop quiz today. This will be for a grade. 
you can turn it in later. Just a little pop quiz as we spend our fourth Sunday in Advent talking about the wise men, the magi. I want to just give you a pop quiz to see if you know the details of this story. I want to look at the, I want to do this in the form of a true-false. We'll start with the easy ones and move our way from there to maybe a little bit more challenging. I'm not sure. It just depends on your biblical knowledge. It's, knowledge. it's really up to you how well you do on this. So, true or false, number one. There were three wise men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who came from a magical chocolate factory in Babylon. Yeah, exactly. I figured they would say true. Veggie Tales gets all mixed up in this thing. This is, should be obvious. This is false for many, many reasons. That's not their names. We don't, we don't actually know their names. If you do some research, you'll find that some people in the Middle Ages decided that we did know their names, and they called them uh, Balthazar, Melchior, and Casper, who was the friendly one. And they... They decided they found their bones in Cologne, Germany, of all places, and now they were enshrined in this cathedral in Cologne, which is all just crazy. The, yes, the dome. I've been there. We've seen the wise men's bones, but that's not them. So, but what's, what's really interesting in this statement is not all the crazy stuff at the end of this, but the fact that it says there were three wise men right there, we don't know for sure if that's true or false. We assume that there's three wise men, but the Bible never tells us how many there were. There could have been 12, there could have been four, there could have been just a couple. We, we, don't, we don't really know. We assume that there were three, and that tradition developed over time, and this, that was based on the fact that there were three gifts mentioned. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, three gifts. And so we assume that there were three wise men, and each brought a gift. But can you just stop and think about the logic for that, of that for a second? Like, can you imagine how mad you would be if you brought the Messiah essential oils and somebody else brought gold? Like, they went up to you big time. Like, oh, I thought we were all bringing essential oils. You brought gold? Great. It, just, it doesn't even make sense that everybody had their own gift. And one of the guys, he really loved Jesus and he brought gold. And everybody else brought myrrh. And Frank, like, we don't know how many wise men, how many magi visited Jesus. True or false number two? That one was easy. The wise men visited Jesus the night he was born and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. False? Okay, you guys are pretty good. This is false. Your nativity scene probably has the wise men in it. Gathered around the stable, looking at baby Jesus in the manger. But there's no reason to believe that they were there on that night. In fact, the story that we just read kind of indicates... Matthew says, after, after Jesus was born some time, and if you were really paying attention while Amy was reading, it says that they visited Mary and Jesus in, the, in a house. That they, had, they had moved into a house. They were, they were living there at the time. When Herod decides to go after all the kids to make sure he wipes out the new king, he, based on the timeline of the star, goes and kills all the children two years old and younger. So, Jesus, when they visited, when the Magi visited, was probably closer to two years old than an infant. 
And so kids, if you got a nativity scene up at your house and you got the Magi in it, take them out today, take them out. I'm just joking, don't do that. They're probably breakable. Don't even touch them, I didn't say anything. But it's a cool picture and I think nativity scenes like that are, are cool because it reminds us of the whole story. It's just, just an interesting little fact that they weren't there the night he was born. They were there sometime when Jesus was entering in what we would call the terrific twos, because when you're perfect, they're terrific twos. And that's about the time that they visited. And since I'm trying to run your Christmas story, you know there wasn't an innkeeper, right? Like he doesn't exist in our Bible, that never mentions an innkeeper. We've made that part up and we put them in the Christmas plays because you gotta have, everybody has to have a part. But there wasn't an innkeeper mentioned. In fact, this is kind of, I'm sorry guys, but like there's, there's no reason to even believe that they tried to go to an inn. There was a Holiday Inn Express there. The word Luke uses that we translate inn, he uses again later in his gospel account to talk about the guest room that they had the Last Supper in. So why wouldn't, why would he use it here to refer to inn and then there to refer to a guest room. The, the word literally means guest room. And so all it tells us in Luke's account is that Mary had the baby, wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn is how we translate it. But the word literally means there was no room in the guest room for them to do that. So they might've been in a stable, might've been just, hey, here's a feeding trough. We, sorry. But the, the innkeeper who we blame for being surly and uncaring for years, he doesn't even exist. Oh well. True or false number three, the wise men traversed afar on camels. This is the trickiest one and the correct answer, Brad Schistler, is maybe, you're right. We don't have any idea. You see wise men and the picture of the wise men always has them on the camels, but we really don't know. In fact, from where they came from, it was probably more likely that they traveled on horses during this time period, but a lot of people did travel on camels. And if you're reading Ishtar's adventure right now for your Advent story, they're on camels and just stick with it. We, maybe that's true, maybe it's not, but they're never mentioned in the Bible. So we just kind of put this thing together based on some imagination and different things. And I think it's interesting to talk about the actual facts. Do you know also, the Bible never says that Mary rode on a donkey. And we wanna assume that nobody would make a pregnant girl walk 80 miles during that time. But it doesn't talk about that. We just put the donkey in and some, sometimes it's once again, so kids will have a role to play. Hey, you get to be the donkey. So that's, but it's never mentioned. True or false number four, the last one on the quiz. The wise men were kings who came to bow down to Jesus. False is correct. They, we sing the song, we three kings, but there's no reason to believe that they were kings. In fact, that's not what the Bible tells us that they were. We've kind of put that into the story because it sounds cool. We even kind of try to connect it to some Old Testament prophecies, but there's no reason to believe that they were kings, but we, we like to put the crowns on them and show them in that light that these three kings came from three different kingdoms and they bowed down to worship Jesus. It's just not true. The, the story is amazing and Nick, Nick 
prayed about that, like the mystery of the story. There's so much greatness in the story, but there's also a lot of stuff that just has been added in over time. And I think it's, it's good in this time to go back and look at what the Bible actually says and then, and then focus on that. And so if they weren't kings, who were they? Who, who were these guys? We, we don't know how many there were, but these magi came from the east, is all Matthew tells us. Because they saw a star, they connected that star to a king, maybe a king with deity has been born, and they traveled all this way to see him. So who were they? Well, the, the Bible tells us that they were magi. The, that word is interesting because it kind of, it's the word we get magician from. It's, it's magic. It's these guys who looked at the stars and they, they read signs. If you remember, we've even looked at this recently when Joseph was interpreting dreams, Pharaoh called in all the uh, wise men and astrologers and dream interpreters, all the magi in that kingdom, and they couldn't interpret the dream. Joseph was found to be the only one that could interpret it. In the story of Daniel, Daniel is called in to interpret dreams, and there's magi involved. It's actually the same word, these magi, these, these people with wisdom, so to speak, because they looked at the stars, they read signs, they would always be kind of following this mysticism type of thing. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about astrologers who may have had access to kings. They may have been advisors to kings from different kingdoms. They obviously had some clout because they got uh, rushed into the presence of Herod pretty easily. But that's, that's who we're talking about. We're talking about astrologers. We're talking about People who look at signs and they saw a star and they knew that there was something significant. They decided to travel all this way to meet this king that was born. But Matthew really seems to indicate just that they were from another country. It seems like Matthew's emphasizing that for us, that these guys were not from around here is how we'd say that down in East Texas. Like they they ain't from around here. He's emphasizing that. Like Matthew skips the shepherds. Do you understand that? Like we know about the shepherds coming on the night that he was born into the stable or wherever they were. Matthew skips over the shepherds. And at some point, guys, at some point in our Matthew study, we'll spend a little bit of time talking about how the different gospels have different versions and different accounts and different angles and perspectives of the same story and how that actually lends credibility to the story instead of taking away from it, but today's not the day for that, but we will do that at some point. Matthew's version of the story, he's emphasizing something different. He's emphasizing something for his readers. So he skips the shepherds, and the first visitors he talks about are these magi from another country, these foreigners, not of the people of Israel, not of God's chosen people, outsiders, Gentiles. That's who Matthew wants us to know came to worship Jesus. And it's like Matthew's trying to remind us of this truth in the Christmas story that Jesus was born to bring salvation to all nations. But this, this truth and seeing Jesus and seeing these magi travel this far should remind us of that. That Jesus is not a local deity just for a select group of people, but Jesus was born 
into this world to save us from our sins, and the us is all of us. The us is the entire planet, all the peoples, every nation, tribe, and tongue, every people group. Jesus came and was born and laid in that manger in order to bring salvation to all nations. And the Bible tells us this over and over and over and over. The people of God, the Israelites, seem to miss that a lot in the Old Testament. They definitely even miss it in the New Testament. Even the disciples were missing it. When we, when we walked through Acts, we saw them slowly figure out that this gospel message was for all peoples and all the nations and the Gentiles would be grafted in. Jesus was born to bring salvation to all nations. Isaiah 60, verse 3, is this prophecy. God's speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he says, And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Just interestingly, this is one of the verses that people have taken and want to put it back on the Magi and say, See, there were kings. Kings came to the brightness of the rising. But that's, there's no indication in our New Testament anybody took that prophecy and applied it to these Magi. But it is applicable in the sense that all the nations will worship him. That the salvation that Jesus brought and offered is for every single nation. Jesus was born to bring salvation to all the nations. That's, that's the story of scripture. That's why he has come. It's not just for us. In fact, if you want to get real technical, we were grafted in to this. The salvation is for all people. Matthew starts his gospel with the genealogy and then he talks about Jesus' birth and he goes right to the Magi, the foreigners that came to worship God. It's almost like Matthew's setting us up. He's writing to a Jewish audience and he's saying, hey, the Messiah's been born. He came from the right lineage, but he's the Messiah for everyone. So Matthew's gospel starts with this idea that, hey, he's... He's for all the nations, and Matthew's gospel ends with the Great Commission. Jesus looking at his disciples saying, I want you to go into all the nations. Make disciples of all the nations. Go. This gospel is for all peoples, all nations. Jesus was born to bring salvation to all the nations. So they came because God has included them. This is a part of it. But they came with a purpose. You got to ask the question, why did they come? What are they doing? Why why would anybody travel that far to go to a baby shower? I'm always making up excuses if I get invited to a baby shower and not have to go to that thing. And these guys traveled on camel type horses for days to get there. Why? Well, it's very, very clear. They say, we've come to worship him. Where is this child that's been born king of the Jews? Because we have come to worship him. The salvation is for all the nations, and all the nations are coming to worship him. And here's what, when I see that in the story, I I think it's easy for us to forget that part of the story and to kind of skip it. When we talk about Christmas, we talk about, man, Jesus has come to save us. Jesus has come to rescue us. Jesus has come to deliver us. All those things are true. But this is also true, and it's right here in the story of these wise men, these magi coming, that Jesus was born to be worshipped. Jesus was born to be worshipped by all nations. Don't skip that in the Christmas story. Don't miss that in the Christmas story. That this baby that was born, 
he's going to save us and he's, he's come to rescue us and he's, all those things are true. But he's come so that we would worship him. He's going to save us so that we will worship him because we couldn't save ourselves. We had no hope on our own. So this baby is born to be worshipped. And sometimes we celebrate the Christmas story and we talk about the great things that Jesus has done and how he's the ultimate gift, the gift that just is above all the other gifts, that the presents we share with each other, just a representation of this great gift that Jesus has given to us. But do we stop and consider the fact that Jesus was born so that we would worship him? That's the goal here. That's, that's God's goal. His ultimate aim is to be worshiped by all nations. You see this Philippians chapter two, verses nine and 11, probably somewhat familiar verse passage to you guys. Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The baby that was born was born to be worshiped. He's, he's, the, he's the one that's worthy of our worship. He, he deserves our worship. And this is God's goal. This is God's aim. And God's ultimate objective in the earth is to be glorified in all the earth. You see it all throughout the scriptures that God's purpose, his ultimate purpose is to spread his glory across the face of the earth. Like the knowledge of his glory will cover the earth like water covers the sea. That God is on a mission to glorify himself, to spread his glory, to be worshiped in all the earth. That's what his ultimate aim is. And so when you see the baby in the nativity scene, and you think about the Christmas story, don't miss the fact that he came to be worshiped, that he calls us to come and adore him. He calls us to come and to praise his name forever. This baby was born to be worshiped. Now, sometimes that truth, it kind of grinds a little bit with us. It's like, okay, so God's ultimate objective is to be worshiped. And you can go down the wrong path of that truth. You go down this path that leads you to start thinking like God sure is self-centered, right? Like it sounds like he's just, he needs to be worshiped so bad that his ultimate objective is to show the world how great he is so that everyone will worship him. But that's, that's just this logical path that you can get on that's not a biblical path. It's not even a lot, it's, it's not even true if you really understand what God is doing. And if you really understand what he's accomplished and really understand what worship is, because there's some truths for us about God's ultimate objective to be worshiped and glorified that will set us free from that false understanding. And here's one of them. Worshiping Jesus is the only way to find ultimate purpose, meaning, and satisfaction. And you can just keep the list going. Joy, peace, whatever. That God's ultimate objective is to be worshiped and glorified. And in doing so, he's giving us what we need the most. We need to worship him. We need to recognize God and how great he is and what he's accomplished. And we need to worship him with our lives. We need to pour ourselves out. We need to sacrifice our lives for him because that's the only way that life will ever really make sense for us. That's the only way that we'll find true purpose, 
True meaning, true significance, true satisfaction, true joy. That's the only path for us is to worship him, value and treasure him above everything else. So God's ultimate objective is for our good. When we worship God and we value and treasure and pursue him above everything else, we find this is, this is the way I'm supposed to be living. This is when life really begins to connect. This is when purpose, this is when I'm truly, deeply satisfied is when I eliminate everything else and I just worship him and pursue him. And so God's ultimate aim is to be worshiped because that's the best possible thing for us. And then the second truth kind of flows out of that. And that is that worshiping Jesus will lead to a life on mission. If Jesus was born to bring salvation to all the nations and Jesus was born to be worshiped, then it just kind of connects these things together that when we are worshiping him, it will spill out of us into mission. Our worship will overflow and we will want the nations to see what we've seen about God. We will want the nations to understand the greatness of our God, what he's done for them, what, what, what he's accomplished when he sent Jesus and he was born in Bethlehem and then he died on that cross to take our place and to rescue us and all those things. We, we want Jesus to be glorified so that we can see the nations come to worship him the way that we have worshiped him. And so when we get that, when we get that he's the baby that's born to be worshipped, it will spill over into a mission. It will lead to a life on mission. It will lead us to understanding that our ultimate purpose is to glorify him. Our ultimate purpose is to make much of him. Our ultimate purpose is to make him famous, to spread his glory. That's what God's all about. So we're just aligning our lives with his ultimate purpose. John Piper and Let the Nations Be Glad said it this way, and it, I, I, I don't remember exactly when I read this, but it changed my life forever. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. You understand that? Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is the ultimate goal. There'll be a day when the new heavens and new earth are created and God has gathered all of his people together and we're worshiping him forever. There, there won't really be missions anymore, but we will worship him forever because worship is ultimate. To glorify him, to worship him is ultimate. And so missions exist because worship doesn't. There are people out there that don't worship God, that are wasting their worship on false gods or chasing after just things that are created. They're just pursuing and valuing and treasure other things and they don't have satisfaction and significance and purpose and meaning. They don't have those things because they're wasting their worship. And so missions exist because we want people to understand that God is the only one worthy of our worship. And so we, we live on mission to make much of God so that people will understand and they will begin to worship him, that they will come to that truth and they will worship him and abandon the worship of these false gods. And so we're on mission around us. We, we should be living on mission because there are people all around us all the time that are confused and they're worshiping created things and they're pursuing this and they're valuing and treasuring this above God. And so we, we live on mission. We, we, we worship him. We, we value him and we treasure him in a way that people see that in us, even if it's countercultural. 
And then we, we, take, we take every chance that we can get and we get involved in what God is doing among the nations to help the nations come to worship him. We take spring break around here and we send, our, we send our students and adult helpers to go to Launchbox and to share the good news of Jesus with refugees. Many of them have never heard this gospel before. We have people going all over the world in the summer and other times of the year to go make much of Jesus because people around the world are not worshiping him. And missions exist because worship doesn't. And so we live on mission to show people that worshiping Jesus is the only way that they'll be satisfied. So you look at the story of the Magi coming and it tells us Jesus was born to bring salvation to all the nations. It tells us Jesus was born to be worshiped by all nations, that, that we need to worship him. And so what does this mean for us right now in this Christmas season? How do we, how do we take these truths and really engage this in the midst of the craziness of the Christmas season. Let me just give you, give you one big idea with a few practical applications. The big idea is this, worship him this Christmas. I, I said it that way because I wanted to keep it positive. Because I was tempted to say it in a negative light. And the negative light is don't miss worshiping him. And the truth is it's very easy to miss it. Did you notice in the story... Herod is, he's obviously the bad guy, and he wants to kill Jesus. In fact, he, he, he does this horrific thing in, toward, in trying to wipe him out. He's threatened by Jesus. He, he hates Jesus. He wants to hold on to his power and his throne. And so it shouldn't surprise us in the world that we live in today when people still hate Jesus. And they come against the church and they come against Christ. They come against the things that we value and we hold to in our Bible. That shouldn't surprise us. That'll always be there. It's there when Jesus was born, it's still very prevalent today. But what was really interesting to me in the story was the fact that Herod, when he heard that this king might have been born and he knew that he knew they were talking about somebody other than him, he calls in the religious leaders. He calls in the scribes. He calls in the high priest. He calls in these guys. These guys will know if, if this is true, if the Messiah has been born, I need to know where. And I call in, I, he calls in the guys that know. And they ask them. And they immediately, they go, oh yeah, it says in the scriptures, there's a prophecy about it. Micah says it. He says, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. That's where this is going down. And you notice what happens next? They're like, can we go with you? You, You're gonna go worship him? We're gonna go worship him too. That's what you would think would happen. But it looks like they just went right back to business. Yep, oh, Messiah's been born? That's cool, he's gonna be born in Bethlehem. Y'all have a safe trip. The guys that should know and should be excited about this and should be like, The Messiah has finally been born. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting and 400 years of silence and no prophets. They should be so excited. They should be wanting to go and figure this out and they just completely ignore it. I think there's a warning for us there. Don't miss worshiping him. Don't let all the other stuff, which is so good, distract you from 
this truth that the baby that was born was born to be worshiped. Adore him, praise him. Spend some time with your family talking about how great God is that he would accomplish this, which we had no hope without him. And worship him in response to that. That's why it may seem crazy that we're going to all gather again on Tuesday, just a couple days from now, and, and, and do this again. But we're doing it because we need to worship him. We don't need to miss it. And all the other things that you have going on on Tuesday, I got them all going on too. And I get it. But, but sometimes we just need. We just need to stop, set some things aside, and worship him. And it's not me trying to make you feel guilty if you're not going to be here. I, I know it's a crazy season. It's just saying, that's why we gather. Because we don't want to miss the worship of him. To worship him this Christmas. Let me give you three things from this story that I think will help us with that. Worship him with joy. Verse 10 of the story, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And this is just kind of a funny sentence because it's like just piling on joy. Their rejoicing was just like they said it twice and then they emphasized it twice. It's like a quadruple emphasis of how much joy they had. They saw the star. They knew they found the place. We're going to get to see the Messiah, the king of the Jews. We're going to get to see him. And they just joy flooded them. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about if we'll remember how bad we need to be rescued joy will come to us in this Christmas story. When we forget that we were hopeless, it doesn't seem like that great of a deal. But when we really realize that we were cut off, separated forever with no hope, and we, the only hope that we had was Jesus coming, joy comes with that. So lean into that. Last week, Kai talked about the fact that he's God and man, this mystery, this unbelievable truth that he's 100% God and 100% man. And that was our only hope. He had to be God and he had to be man in order to rescue us. So let the mystery of it flood you with joy. Let the fact that you can't understand every single bit of that be a source of joy for you. I want to worship a God that I can't fully understand. Let that be a source of joy for you. In the midst of all the other things this going on, lean into those truths because we don't want to miss the chance to worship him with joy. Worship him as king. When they showed up, they said, where's the child that's been born? King of the Jews. When they got to the house and they saw Jesus, they bowed down and worshiped him. So recognize that he's king. Recognize that the baby that was born is Lord of all. He's king of kings and worship him as king. And here's what that looks like. It means following him, serving him, obeying him, 
Christmas season is awesome and it leads right into this New Year's season where we talk about goals and things for the next year. Make sure you understand that following Jesus ought to always be there. Getting to know Jesus and knowing his word and reading his word and studying his word and spending time in prayer and all these things, it ought to be a part of this process of us worshiping him by following him, worshiping him by pursuing him, recognizing he's King of kings and Lord of lords and so I'm going to obey him. I'm gonna live my life according to his standard and every single one of us has some places where we need to focus in and consider how our lives are worship. Worship him as king means being faithful at your job, being the best employee that, that's there, being the best boss, being the best third guy in charge. Being faithful at your job is an act of worship. Do all things as if you're doing them for the Lord, for his glory. And so worship him in every aspect of your life. We gather together on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday, we get a chance to worship him in real life and real time by just living according to his standard and following him. Worship him as king. This season and every season. And then worship him through giving. You can't ignore that, that they came all this way and they brought him gifts. You also can't ignore the irony. What do you give God as a baby? Hope he likes the onesie. Like, what, what do you give? He doesn't need anything. It, there's nothing that he lacks. And our worship when we give, it's the same. God doesn't need anything from us. Everything that we have comes from him. The Bible tells us that over and over and over again. The Bible also tells us that our God is not served by us as if he needed anything. Doesn't live in a temple, sitting there waiting for people to carry him around and stuff. Like our God's way bigger than that. He doesn't need anything from us. But yet we still worship him through giving. Because when we worship him through giving, what we're saying is, God, we know that you don't need this. And you know what, God? I could really use it for myself. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna worship you by giving it to you because in the act of doing that, I'm saying that you're more valuable. That I, I'm gonna trust you more. Man, I could hold this over here and I could be really, really happy. I'm going to give it to a God who doesn't need anything from me as an act of worship. And it's easy to immediately think about financial giving, but it's all of it, guys. In our day, it seems like our time may be even more precious to us than our, our money. And you give him your time, he's, he's not even bound by it. He doesn't need it. But you serve him faithfully. It's an act of worship. It's recognizing that he is the only source of satisfaction and meaning and significance and purpose. You give him your talents. You give him your abilities. You're faithful at your job. All those things that are acts of worship, you're giving as a, as a living sacrifice to him. And yes, financially we give. Not, that, not because God needs that because we need to worship him through that. We need to give, we need to let this thing go sometimes in order to remember that he's in control and that he's more than enough for us. Worship him this Christmas. He's a baby that was born to be worshiped. 
Make sure you don't miss that this Christmas. Worship him with joy and worship him as king and follow him and worship him with gifts that he doesn't need, but you need to give as an act of worship. And let's together come and adore him because he is Christ the king. We're gonna worship him through the Lord's Supper. It's an act of worship and we take the bread and we take the cup to remember what he's done, to proclaim the great gospel truth that his body was broken, that he was born not just to be worshiped, but born to die in our place. And so make this an act of worship. Let, let, let our taking of the bread and our taking of the cup be just a representation of our adoring him and praising him and worshiping him during this moment. We will take that as right after I pray. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the reminders that I need, we all need, that Jesus was born to be worshiped. And God, would you help us not to miss that this, this holiday season and all the seasons? that life will truly make sense only when we worship you with our lives. And so allow this Advent Sunday and this season to be a call to us and an invitation to us, a reminder to come and to worship him, to come and adore him because he's king. And we'll give you all the glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen.